So, Bim, welcome back to the show, our first of 2022. Are you keeping well and had a good start to the year? Yeah, well, you know, it is never dull. Never dull. <laughs> well, let's move it on. Last time we talked in our review of the year we discussed some of the pledges you made when you were elected in 2019 but what are some pledges or things that you'll be working towards in 2022 that your constituents can look forward to oh gosh i know my constituents will be eagerly looking forward to all my activities um, what what i would say is uh there are two big things this year uh in my mind one is upgrades to Hitchin Station, and we are getting very close to that. I hope to put in a bid to the government for funding in the spring, uh, and that's all going well. My discussions with the Treasury are going well in that regard, as long as we can get our, you know, our, our ducks in a row, and I'm hopeful about success there. And the second is on about improving, rather increasing the area of natural beauty of the Chilterns, moving it all the way into the constituency up to Hitchin. At the moment, the formal area of natural beauty stops um, sort of at the border of both Buckinghamshire and Bedfordshire, and it's about making sure that formally goes into Hertfordshire. Why does that matter? It's because it protects the area uh, in future from people wanting to do silly things, and it also um, really recognises it for what it is, which is an area of natural beauty that for various legal and bureaucratic reasons hasn't been recognised as such formally. And I think with the adoption of the new North Hearts local plan, that will happen. Uh, and the third thing, I should have said three things. The third thing is, you know, working on Luton Airport expansion and, and working to stop it. I had a meeting with the campaign groups yesterday, of which there are many. And, you know, my position on this is incredibly clear. Uh, which is it should not happen, Luton Airport expansion, and working on that to try and stop that happening, because they appear, slightly bizarrely, bearing in mind the broader context around COVID and all the rest of it, they appear to be uh, wanting to push ahead with that expansion this year. So that is something else. And that is something that we will talk to you throughout the year. This is why I've asked you. Lucky you, lucky <laughs> you. You get to talk to you about Luton Airport more and more. <laughs> Well, I, I get to talk to Daisy and Bambos as well about all their pledges as well. But, but let's move it on to uh, a very serious topic, possibly our most emailed in topic ever. Uh, it is the ongoing Partygate scandal. At the time of recording, the Sue Gray report has literally just come out. Uh, so we'll spend a bit of time focusing on this. Now, in your statement on the 17th of January, you said, I'm appalled, as most of you are. If the reports are true, in particular with regards to the night before Prince Philip's funeral, I was sickened and the Prime Minister's leadership has fallen a long way short of what the country can expect. A lot of change uh, needs to happen and fast. Uh, you also mentioned that you were waiting for the outcome of the report. Now it has come out. What are your feelings, Bim? Well, I mean, I, irritatingly, it has come out, but anybody who has looked at it will know that it's in quite an unsatisfactory form. Uh, to be honest, it, it, it doesn't set out very much. It really says there are a bunch of things that the police are investigating and that Sue Gray cannot talk very much about. 
there are certain things that have been made clear around management of Downing Street, how it operates, changes that need to be made, mostly bureaucratic and management things, to be honest. And the Prime Minister's pledged to sort those out. I will see what happens. I mean, it, those things are often quite difficult to judge, at least in the short term. Uh, I think it's also clear that events that took place shouldn't have happened. Uh, the Prime Minister needs to take responsibility for that. He has. But beyond the difficulty is, you know, beyond that, you know, we, we're still sort of none the wiser as to what's happened. And I'm as frustrated as anybody else that the police took the decision they did. I don't really understand why they took the decision they did. Uh, it strikes me as, um, you know, the, there have been other reports before. I was in Parliament when Damien Green uh, was accused of various things and there was a report by Sue Gray into Damien Green. Those are things that, that, that were also potentially criminal, though they weren't, might I add, but they could have been potentially. And those things were, were published. I think it's deeply frustrating that we now have to wait longer. Uh, I was very clear with the Prime Minister when I saw him yesterday, as did other people uh, in the Conservative Party, um, Parliamentary Party, that you know the report needs to be published in full when it's released, and he has accepted that. Uh, and I think that that's important. So it will be published in full as and when it's released. And, um, and the police have to get on with their work. But it's very difficult when you've got a police investigation to go any further than sort of where I have. In terms of it, though, your wording was, uh, I am appalled. And just looking at the, the parliamentary record, not in terms of the, the police report or anything, but Prime Minister Boris Johnson said on the 1st of December, all guidance was followed in number 10. I've been repeatedly assured that there was no party and no COVID rules were broken. And obviously, since then, a lot of people have grown tired or angry with the fact that the story has changed from Prime Minister himself. Um, what is your thoughts and feelings on maybe the ministerial code? Because obviously you know it better than I do, but it says that if Boris Johnson has knowingly misled Parliament, do you believe that he has done that in this process? Well, I don't think he has, but if he, if it's the ministerial code is quite clear on these matters, right? So um, we're not at that point yet, but, but I think it's quite obvious that if... Um, a prime, a prime minister or any minister knowingly misleads parliament, then they have to resign. And I think that that's still the position. It always has been and, and will be. Uh, but as I say, that isn't what the Sue report says. And I think it's important to, to, to make that point. And it's also not evidence necessarily by the facts, because what is clear is that there were things that happened that shouldn't have happened. What is also clear is that there is a bit of a grey area when you're dealing with work events and, and things like that. So look, we just have to wait and see uh, in detail. I think it's really, really important that one doesn't prejudge these things, uh, but at the same time, recognise that to do the things that Sue Gray does say needs to happen now, which is make sure you have a sensible management and operational structure in Downing Street. The Prime Minister leads that. He's got to take responsibility for that. He apologised to the Conservative Parliamentary Party yesterday. He was right to do so. And let's see if those things can actually be moved be moved on you know the conservative party is definitely watching the prime minister and saying look you've got to act on the things you say you're going to act on or you know or there's going to be difficulties so uh you know i think that that's what we need to do what have your constituents communicated to you then is there a feeling of anger uh, amongst the people of your area well i think a lot of people are, are angry um a lot of people probably quite weary uh and but at the same time not minimizing the importance of all of this is it's important that I keep focus on the things that I can actually do something about, which are constituency issues, which are um, helping people out, which are representing the area in Parliament, which are the work I'm doing on the economy, the work I'm doing 
um, helping young people or, or, or mental health or protecting the environment. In fact, this evening I've got a, I'm having a, a chat with members of the Conservative Environment Network, one of the largest caucuses, I think the largest in the Conservative Parliamentary Party. I'm interviewing Alok Sharma to talk to him about what we're doing. All of these things um, you've got to keep your focus on because ultimately they're the things that you have the ability to do something about. And the results of a report by somebody in the police investigation, I can't do anything about it. And what you've got to do is you've got to focus on what you can do. And that's what I'm doing. One final question on this issue then. Um, Former Conservative MP Matthew Parris said in The Times, one is put in mind of Jeremy Corbyn's catastrophic leadership of the Labour Party and the cringeworthy media interviews with perfectly sane MPs feigning positivity. Mr Parris worried that this is the case for the Conservatives. Do you worry that the party is being forced into this position over this issue? No, um, I think it's quite... um, I mean, Matthew, who I who I don't know very well, but I do know a little bit. You know, he was a Conservative MP. He stopped being a Conservative MP in the year that I was born. It was 35 years ago. Right? I mean, it was a long time. Um, and I think his views on the Prime Minister are well known. Uh, that doesn't make what he says illegitimate at all. I mean, he's a thoughtful, intelligent, reasonable person. It's just to say that, you know, I never go into an interview and um, and say things that I know, I know knowingly not to be true. Uh, I won't do that. Um, and I think the vast majority of my colleagues are in that position. I just think that what is important is that you allow things to take their course when you have appointed groups of people or individuals who are meant to investigate them, um, and you've got to allow those things to take their course. You've voiced a, a bit of discontent of how the Met Police have handled the situation. You know, the the police have come under much criticism from all areas of the political uh, spectrum. Labour, Lib Dems have gotten behind a belief that there's potentially a shady establishment stitch up. Do you believe that the Met Police need some evaluating now going forward? Not because I think there's a stitch up. I want to be clear about that. I do not think the Met Police in any way is behaving in 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 an illegitimate or inappropriate way. I just disagree with the, the way they've got about it. I'm not saying that's that's there's, there's anything corrupt or anything at all about that. Um, so look, just because I disagree with how they've gone about things, in my view, um, you know, it's a lot better for the country, the party, uh, the Conservative Party for and the government for all of the facts to be out as soon as possible. I, I just think that's better for everybody. The police have taken a different view because I suppose their, their perspective is different. They want to do an investigation and they think that it'll be prejudiced if they if they allow this thing to be reported. I, I, I you know, that has been disputed by some people like Lord Sumption, Jonathan Sumption, who was, you know, one of the leading legal minds of his generation, if not the leading legal mind of his generation, completely disagrees with that. But he thinks that actually that's completely not true. Uh, and that's why I criticize them, but I want to be very clear. I am, um, you know, the police are doing a very difficult job uh, and, you know, they're doing their best. One of the questions that was actually raised when I talked to Daisy Cooper was she has made requests for correspondence between the Met and Number 10 to kind of evaluate the situation to maybe answer her questions over the shady establishment stitch-up comments that her own party made. Why would that have been turned down, though, that request? 
because you can't get to a position where every single piece of correspondence that a government has with the Met Police Commissioner is subject to being published. It's just an intolerable situation. And Ed Davies a bit of a joke, frankly. And for Ed Davies, you know, alumnus of my, of my alma mater at Oxford, uh, goes on career in the city, then becomes a member of parliament, member of cabinet. For him to now suggest a cosy establishment system, I say, who's the establishment? I think it's him. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, I like Daisy, you know, it's nothing against her, but, but um, and if I was in opposition, with 12 MPs, whatever, trying to find relevance. This is the sort of thing I would do. You know, I would try and, you know, create some noise in this. And I don't, you know, it's it's it's, it's what politicians do. And it's not illegitimate. I just I just do not think a government of any colour will get themselves to a position willingly where every single piece of correspondence it ever has with the Met Police Commissioner is subject to being published in the public domain. You can't operate like that. Because, by the way, if that sort of thing happens, what ends up happening is that the conversations that, that matter will all happen privately. They'll all just happen in person on WhatsApp messages that are then deleted, all sorts of things. And do we prefer that? Or do we prefer people to operate in normal channels with civil servants minuting and those things being done formally? I prefer the latter. Moving it to other parliamentary matters in your role as PPS to Nadine Dorries, can you update us on the latest investigations into how the BBC licence fee will be replaced as there are quite a lot of criticisms of the institutions, not just from the Conservatives, but in all areas of life. But not a lot of answers yet. Um, as I'm PPS, I cannot speak for the department. I know that sounds a bit counterintuitive, but I can't because I'm not a minister. What I will say is that I think that the BBC does need reform, and I love the BBC. You know, I absolutely love going on any questions or question time and I'm listening to it. I love watching BBC TV, I love the drama, I love the sport. Um, but that doesn't mean the institution can't reform, and I think that's what we're trying to do. Um, at a time when the government has made cuts to universal credit, raised national insurance costs to pay for new projects, Lord Agnew has resigned over COVID fraud. The Conservative Minister said on the issue that the Treasury is having little interest in the consequences of uh, fraud to our society, uh, which is projected to cost more than 4.9 billion or around 11% of the total that was given out during COVID. Will the government pursue this fraud after the invest, uh, resignation or will the 4.9 billion be written off at a time of nationwide financial hardship? Very good question. Um, I think the answer is it depends what type of fraud it is. It depends how recoverable it is. The truth is that there is, you know, the government, in order to fight to deal with the consequences of COVID, we had to get a lot of money out the door very, very quickly. Uh, I remember very well uh, the pleas of help, pleas for help that came from numerous constituents, uh, their businesses, which were about to fall over. They needed, they needed emergency funding. Uh, and I remember people complaining at the time that this money wasn't often coming fast enough. And we absolutely tried to get this money to come as quickly as possible. And when you're doing that at that level of scale across the whole country, billions and billions, the truth is that some people, some sort of nefarious characters, um, you know, were fraudulent. And that is to some degree unavoidable. And I just don't know within that number of Lord Agnew said. I just don't know how much of that was avoidable, how much of it wasn't. What I do know is that the National Audit Office will be looking at this in detail if they haven't already. 
and those are a fearless group of, of, of people who are incredibly able. I know they will be getting to the bottom. So in terms of it then, you're not really sure uh, because of the type of fraudulence? Well, it just, it just depends on what it is, right? Yeah. So yeah. there is some sort of money you can call back, call back, and there's others that's less able to do that. And I just don't know within that sum, I don't know how much of it is recoverable or not. That's just, you know, to give, by contrast, banks every year lose tens of millions of pounds to fraud. They're back, like, these are commercial businesses. They, they really don't want to lose money, but some of it they can't recover back. And they have the best technology. They have much better technology, by the way, than the government does. So it, 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 in that situation, they can't recover everything. Of course, the government can't recover everything. I think just the question is, how much can we recover? And we need to make sure we try harder, probably, to make sure we do get some of that money back. Okay, let's move it to some local issues. Uh, And this month you have said that there's a large number of safety concerns for women and that you've raised them and have started to take these up with the relevant authorities. What advice can you give on these issues, Bim, and when can people expect to see improvements or further announcements? Good question. I So women's safety, and I should. it's important that I mean everybody's safety. It just tends to often be women who... Uh, bear the brunt of this, but you know I don't want men to feel left out. Uh, often it's particularly in uh, on the edges of our towns, or indeed in the middle of the towns, uh, Hitchin and Harpenden, and all the large larger villages where street lighting at certain parts can be poor. People are walking home from the station at night. There may be areas which you know they feel unsafe. There may be areas where there may be sort of drug dealing or or, or kids hanging around, which may make people feel uncomfortable. There may be areas where they've been um, attacks on people in the past, all of these things, in order to tackle them and deal with them, one really needs to know where they are and what happened and when they happened, so that I can then liaise with the police and others to go, right, or the council to say, right, we need more lighting on that particular alleyway, or we need the uh, more patrols in this part of Rockhamstead Park in Harpenden, or whatever it is. In fact, I was at Rockhamstead last week and talking to the town council um, officers about what they've done to make the park safer and less susceptible to sort of groups of young people doing various things they shouldn't do in what is a you know a family park. Again, those sorts of things I won't know unless you're t- I'm told. So that's why I'm going out to people and say, please let me know because then I can act on. And uh, this is something that you've extended in terms of just general door knocking. You've been about out and about this month, meeting constituents. Uh, what were some other lucky issues? <laughs> what were some other issues? I, I can't comment on whether they're lucky or not. Uh, what were some other issues that were brought up and maybe some that you have set to addressing? Um, very good question. I mean, the truth is it really depends where you are. Some issue, Some areas... You know, I was on Top Street Way in Harpenden and people were talking about the speed that people were driving down the road. I was on, I was in um, Sunnyside Road and Wymondley Road in Hitchin and people were talking about the town centre. You know, it really, really depends where you are. Um, I was in the High Street in Kimpton, um, off the High Street there, and people were talking about the local primary school. So the, the key thing and what is difficult but also fascinating about being a member of parliament is that it's that 
connection between the hyper-local and the national. It's where you've got a road safety issue on Grove Road in Hitchin, which I've been working to sort out with the local councillors and local people. And what that means about national policy in residential areas. And I think that that's the bit where I hope to try and add value and to improve things because it is only through understanding how something plays out at a very local level that you can really make the most effective policy at national level. But you've got to do both. I think there are too many MPs who either don't bother with the local at all and just think that's for councillors or are just too focused on simply almost acting as a councillor um, rather than realising that actually your job is a national MP. The truth is you've got both hats and you have to try and wear them both in order to, to make change. And that's what I try and do. Let's move it to, uh, you've kind of discussed this a little bit, but you specifically got later this month with Hertfordshire Police uh, a special rural crime meeting for residents. I do. Due to- I do. I'm very excited about my rural crime. Sorry, I'm not excited about rural crime. I'm excited about my rural crime meeting because it's been a long time coming in the village of you know people from Hexton, Lily, Offley. You know, there have been real, you know, more rural crime than I think we'd like to see. Um, there are specific rural crimes, things like hair coursing and flight tipping, but they're also things that you find anywhere. And I think it's important that I come with police very visibly, very openly, and talk to people about what's going on, what needs to happen, and what needs to improve. So I'm excited about doing that because I haven't had a chance. I've, I've dealt with a lot of individuals, but I haven't really had a chance to get people in the room and, and see and see where people are. You're, you're excited to address the issue would be the, the right phrasing, uh, wouldn't it? So Yeah, in- exactly. You're not excited about rural ground. Rural ground is not good. <laughs> yes, so in terms of it then for people, if they do want to turn up, it is on Friday the 11th of February, 6 to 7 p.m. in Lily Memorial Hall. But a lot of people have actually messaged in saying, is there any way for people to join this virtually or watch it retrospectively because some people said that they are busy at that time and day um i haven't thought of it but now you say i will try and make that happen i don't know if i can but i will try there you go so hopefully that uh helps that issue and the final one before we get on to the community questions how fruitful were talks with chief secretary to the treasury the right honorable simon clark on matters of local transport you were talking about the train station which you mentioned a little bit earlier but there was also discussions about electrical charging points in the area yeah i mean simon um Simon and I have known each other for a very long time, so I get on with him very well. I mean, broadly speaking, uh, he is all ears, and I think the budget is going to have some some good stuff in this regard. I can't say much more, Matt, but I, I had a very good chat with him, and um, I'm feeling positive about those things, and I think there'll be, there'll, be, there'll be money hopefully available. So let's move it then to the community questions. Uh, Andrew has started it off saying, I fully support the work you have done for the nature reserve, but do you feel your efforts are undermined by the fact the government has allowed an environmentally damaging bee-killing pesticide? No, I don't feel my efforts have been undermined. Um, but what I will do is if... Um, is if there's anything, because I haven't, is that's the first time that anyone said that to me. So, you know, I, 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 I'm completely unaware that that would undermine those efforts at all. But if they, um, that individual wants to write to me, I will look at it and speak to George Eustace about it. 
Let's move it to Richard's uh, message. And again, that was this one was sent to me on Twitter. So you can email me, you can tweet me, you can send us through uh, Radio Verulam's social media feeds as well. He's messaged us, though, about uh, an important editorial from Hart's ad. He believes it to be important that Bim Afalami has ignored requests for comment on key issues affecting the Conservative government. Richard has said... MPs should be accountable to their constituents. Is there a reason for this, Bim? Um, what I will say, uh, and I might write this when I get a chance in the heart sad, is, is the following. Um, on any given day, especially as a government member of parliament, I am in meetings in committee, I am in meetings with ministerial and backbench colleagues, I'm speaking in debates in the House, or I'm speaking in, in speeches elsewhere. You know, I get invited to speak all over the country. That may happen on any given day. And when an issue comes up, what's important, I think, is that I consider it. When I get sort of, frankly, budget um, requests, often badly written, rushed out at 4 p.m. from the Hearts ad, insisting that I need to give them a comment on this national issue. Last time I checked, they were a local paper, which cared about local issues. I wish they actually asked me about local issues a bit more. Um, they tend to not like to cover local issues. They tend to want to do sort of, uh, they tend to want to do sort of poor versions of what the national newspapers do. But they'll ask me about um, a national issue late in the afternoon and then demand that I get in, that I respond to them immediately. And I'm afraid that even if I'm not, even if I have the time to address that particular point, bearing in mind what, I'm, what other things that I'm doing, I like to consider things before I make public statements on them. And I don't apologise for that. You know, I think it's really important that we have a considered debate about public issues and not this culture of immediately responding to everything at all times. I do not think it adds the sum of understanding or of nuance in the public debate. And that's what I always try and do. So Marco J has asked the question saying, what is your response to allegations around the whip bullying MPs into voting with the government? And a follow-up question from me, Bim, is have you ever been bullied yourself? No, I haven't been bullied. Um, I think people need to, um, you know, politics can be a rough business, but I you know, I think everybody who thinks that these whips are these terrifying people, they should try and meet a couple of them. Uh, I don't think they'll find that. Uh, and, you know, the, all these allegations are all a bit silly. Um, whips have, uh, you know, parties need party managers. Parties need discipline. And parties need people to be rowing in the same direction. There is no world where anything gets done with 365 or however many Tory MPs we've got all running off in different directions. A government can't operate in that way. Uh, so you do need discipline, um, but that always needs to be done with with with, with uh, honesty, transparency, and sort of candor and and uh, sensible reasonableness. Uh, and broadly speaking, that's what that's what I see with whips. I mean, I have complaints about whips and certain government activities, but I don't think that sort of bullying is one of them. Susan has asked, how will local producers in the area be protected from the fact, according to a parliamentary report, that farmers nationwide have lost 1.8 billion pre-Brexit funding? Um, I mean, it's very complicated. They haven't, they've lost it in one sense, but it's, it's really about how they choose to act going forward. Uh, and Because how we are subsidising 
land management is less through food production and more through the management of the land. So the food production will be dealt with in the market. People will sell their food or their produce into the market, but people will get government support. There'll be public funds for, for public activities. That's public activity for providing habitats or pro-environmental uh, management of land, whether it be rewilding, whether it be um, all sorts of other things that help your land improve the state of our environment. That's what the public funding should go for. Uh, we are switching that away from a purely food uh, production model of public funding. Uh, and I think that's right. Um, the details of that, of course, uh, it's happening over a long period of time. It's happening gradually. And we need to make sure that we protect farmers against adverse changes. But I think the broad direction of where we're going is correct. Susan has turned it to one of the road safety specials that we did together, Bim. She says, thank you for doing that. Do you have any data or reports that suggest that the campaign has been successful so far? That I do not know. And I think it's a very good point. And to be honest, I think that what we should do much more of in politics is when you think you've got these bright ideas, go and actually check um, you know, what the result has been. Uh, so I haven't had any data so far, but I, I think that that's something I should definitely start to collate. Very interesting. And I'm sure Susan and a lot of listeners would like to know that uh, at some point, if you do have time to collate that data. Richard has uh, a different Richard. Richard A has said 4,000 trees have been planted in Hitchin. Are you proud of this effort starting 2022 so positively? And he's asked the follow up question. Also, where are your trees going to be planted that you promised in a bid to make your office carbon neutral? Well, um, my trees are already being planted uh, across the constituency, lots of different places. I, I pick out Kimpton and Harpenden in Rothamstead Park as two particular places, but there are others that um, I say as two particulars, I can't quite remember where all of them are, but two of them are um, Harpenden and, um, and, uh, and Kimpton. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of this. In fact, over the last 10 years, this constituency is one of the top five, I checked this out, in the country on a per head basis as the number of trees planted. Goodness me. There might be more on trees. A per head basis, on, a, on a per head basis, I, the, the people who live in the constituency. Yeah. There might be more trees than constituents then. Is, is that correct? Ooh, I don't know. But it's the number that have been planted, you see what I mean, not the number that existed, yeah. the number that's been yeah. planted. So, again, it's complicated, but um, according to according to data that I've seen. And uh, I guess when you're going around, when you're travelling around the constituency, do you ever go, maybe to your children quite proudly, do you go, oh, that's the tree that, that daddy's, you know, put into the ground, that's, that's my tree there. Um, have you had that opportunity yet? I haven't, but I should. Uh, they, they, they. Um, I'm not quite sure how terribly interested they'd be to me, but, but um, I should probably do that. I should try. <laughs> the final question from Hugo is: You have worked many areas in Parliament, but if you could be in charge of any area of government, what would be your dream role? Oh, so there's in charge of the Treasury. I mean, that is the job, isn't it? Because I think that. Uh, and I know the Chancellor well. I think that um, 
the source of everything in politics is money, really. Um, and you get to steer how the government actually behaves through the allocation of funds and being intimately involved in how those funds are spent as well, I think is the, is the dream job. Well, that is interesting indeed. And we may see you there at some point, Bim. But for now, I'm going to thank you for your time today. I'm sure listeners valued uh, and listened with interest into your answers, and we hope it was valuable to them. But for now, thank you very much for your time, and we will see you again next month. See you and on. Thank you.